0: You're listening to the Howl and Steve English Podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not-so-great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve, and I'm here with Aaron R. Hello. An ESL teacher and hagwon owner here in South Korea. So stay tuned. Uh, again, before we get into this interview, I'd like to share with you some of the new stuff on and Um As always, we're busy making some pretty cool ESL materials And recently, Hal's been making a new travel-themed conversation book. So this would be for your high-intermediate or uh, low-intermediate or high-beginner students, adult students who want to talk about different cultures and different travel topics. Um, Hal's been creating those conversation lessons with a pretty cool video series to go along with it so your students can get some uh, exposure before they come to class. And he's been using his dad in those videos, so it's actually pretty fun for all of us to Watch and make those. Um, we also have all of our great games. So yeah, go to com, Check out our blog for our free material. Uh, and we also have thousands of resources that you can get every month for nine ninety nine. dollars uh, If you join our program, it really means a lot to us. And with your contributions, we'll make some more really cool lessons and materials. All right, Aaron, how's it going? Pretty good. Um, for our listeners out there, this is the second time Aaron's been on the show. The first time he came on here to tell us about... His journey um, as an ESL teacher coming here from America and the different jobs he took and you know what was good what was bad and what would be useful for you guys and today he's here to tell us about what it's like to be an academy owner
1: yeah um, yeah my first episode basically what you said I basically explained the whole journey to get to where I was running an academy and I just wanted to say kind of one more you know, broad story and I hope someone can learn from my mistakes and uh, learn from the things I learned. So I've been operating an academy now. I think I'll be entering my eighth year um, and uh, I wanted to start the story kind of with the worst part and what I learned from that and then how that affects me today. Um, about two years uh, into operating academy is when this uh, this event happened um, in my town we have a very important English contest and this is both a really good thing for us but it's also can be a very stressful and negative thing for us um, the contest has multiple stages and eventually they have a final round for the whole county and uh, 10 10 to 12 sixth graders and 10 to 12 third-year middle school students are selected, and they are sent to America or New Zealand. But a major trip uh, has a budget of maybe three to $4,000 per student that goes on this trip. And so it's a lot of money, and it's a lot of prestige, and this is very important to parents. So we put a lot of effort into doing well in this contest. Um, so when we started, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. And so we did that one or two years, but it kind of became evident to us that we had to put more time into preparing the children to win this contest if we wanted to win this contest in big numbers. So, you know, we're doing all this time, so we want to figure out a way to bill it to the, uh, parents cause we don't want to do all this work for free cause it's stressful and hard for us. So This particular year, we decided, well, we'll we'll do a special class in January, and we'll get all the students that want to do it. So we did a special class, charged them an extra fee, and we promised them that we would take them through certain processes to get them ready um, for the contest. And we did that. Well, this one particular student, and I'll call her H for this episode, and H has two other siblings that go to our academy. And so for that month of January, between her siblings and the special class fees, like her family paid almost a thousand bucks for the month. And I guess her mother had a chip on her shoulder about it because she was she was spreading that chip on her shoulder to H. And so anytime there was a conflict in the classroom, H would bring up money in front of my wife or in front of me in a negative way. And uh, so it really started to wear in my wife and as a a side thing that's happening my wife is pregnant at this time so I'm starting to become kind of protective of my wife and I don't really tolerate people uh, adding stress to my wife because I don't want that to affect the pregnancy so her behavior begins begins to become worse and worse and she begins using the money thing more and more and she has a friend I'll call Jay uh, she definitely highly influences her and, and turns her negative and basically makes the classroom negative. So at this time, uh, I probably was not as mature as I am today, but basically I would try to isolate her. Uh, so like there, like sometimes if the, if the class before she had been disruptive or negative influence in the classroom, I would just put her work in a separate room and this would just make her go ballistic and uh because she basically she wanted to have the power to be a negative influence in in the class and i was removing that from her and it was getting worse and worse and my wife it, it was spilling over on my wife finally at one point um i uh uh i took her her friend and one other girl that she had influenced and i brought them into my room and i told them that they can go to any other academy they want to I, it doesn't bother me but you can't stay here and be negative because it, it, it's fine if you don't like what i'm serving but you can't stay here and complain about what i'm serving when there's another choice like you can go somewhere else now I actually i in telling the story I, I forgot one uh key point one of the things that really uh, got her beginning to be so negative was um at the end of that, that month of january where we had the extra fees, um, there was one girl who didn't sign up for the special class. And I suspected she had some chance at this contest. So I told her, look, I can't teach you the material, but I can give you the process. And if you want to do it at home, I can correct it for you. And I said, please keep this just between you and me. (laughs) That's stupid Aaron back then. Kids don't keep things between you and the teacher. Uh, So 30 seconds walking out of that room, Uh, She goes and tells the other friends in the academy. And, you know, that just adds fuel to the fire about the money. Oh, we pay you all this money, but now you did this, these things for her and you're going to do it not for the money. And uh, so it just created more conflict. So to go back to where I was at at the story, um, it, it, it came to a head. I think it was approximately. So you have January, February, March, April, May, June. I think it was May or June um uh i see my wife her desk is moved outside of the classroom the you know h and j are in the room with the, the, the entire class and uh i go to my wife i'm like what, what's wrong and she said like, i don't want to, i don't want to deal with them anymore and she just was upset and you know this she's now i think four or five months into her pregnancy and uh and i just at that time i just snapped and it was wrong it was wrong of me to be that way but that was my emotional reaction at the moment and i just went into that room and i looked her square in the eyes just like i said get up you know and and uh people who know me i'm very rarely scary but i was probably scary to her and i just demanded that she close her mouth and leave my academy because she tried to, to stand up and be all jokey and talk to her friends about it and i just wasn't having anything of it and um i basically that day I kicked her out of the academy. I mean, I didn't say I at that particular time, I didn't say you can never come back, but I did at that time say I kicked her out for that day. I don't know how she received that message. If she was being permanently kicked out or what. So to make the rest of the story a bit shorter, she began, you know, she can't go to her parents or her friend's parents and say, Oh, I was wrong. The teacher was right. Because that just isn't in her. She, you know, I'm biased in my opinion of her, but I also know that she has done these similar behaviors in other situations and she has caused other teachers problems because she's just a, she was just a negative person. And, um, uh, she, she got the, her parents on her side that I was the bad guy and she was the good person. And, um, she, she became the most venomous person i think i've ever dealt with including adults ever i can't believe as a child she had this mindset she got every single one of our sixth graders into a cacao group and tried to persuade them all to quit um at the same day the next month and uh and frankly that she wasn't successful in that but in the course of the next 18 months, we probably, yeah, we lost all but two of students in that age group. Um, I think some of them, it wasn't like I'm quitting because of H, but because H's friend and then their friend left, they, you know, kind of left. And I, so the family didn't have a beef with us, but um, yeah. Uh, uh, the family didn't have a beef with us. Um, those families didn't have a beef with us, but just through circumstance, left us. And in fact, um, now H is in second year of high school, but like in third year middle school, I think we only had one student from that whole time. And it has and it has a rippling effect because of you know friends of friends and then siblings of siblings. Um, also, H took all of the materials she could get her hands on. She didn't have all of our materials. She went to our competitor and gave all of those materials to our competitor. And our competitor, uh, I think lacking ethics, uh, gladly took them. So they, they not only intellectually took our concepts, uh, they actively benefited from this individual, H, trying to harm us. So, I mean, I'm certain they don't see it the way I see it, uh, but, you know, they weren't... They didn't do the actions H did, but they willingly benefited from them. So, in a way, they are part of it, in my opinion, but they probably don't see it that way. And so, to wrap up this whole story, um, basically, I want to say one thing is... This whole story that I've just told over the last maybe five-ish, six-ish minutes, I didn't know all these things as they were happening. Some of these things I found out three, four, five years down the road um, through vi- through the ways you find out things. And um, it, this caused me enormous stress uh, this whole time because as I'm being hurt, my competitor is being benefited. And then that creates... Uh, a perception that somehow we're in a weaker position and uh luckily um i think we were right well okay we were more right we weren't 100 right we certainly had some things we were wrong about but um our system and our approach was more right than our competitors and i think Slowly, that chipped at them, and I think they just didn't have enough students to make it worth the fight anymore, and uh, they they uh, ceased operations. Um, And and I want to be truthful because it's possible that he he could listen or one of his friends could listen to this. I don't know all the details surrounding it, and it's not my job to gossip about him. But um, they closed down about three or four months ago, and uh, so. The, that's kind of why I wanted to tell the story, because it's, it's shaped everything that I've learned about running an academy, and, uh, uh, and now that chapter is just about closed. Uh, the, the only thing I'm dealing with now is the uh, H's friend, Jay, uh, they, um, they had a younger sibling that was a fifth grade girl. And that f- fifth grade girls, uh, when when the other academy, my competitor closed, they went to they didn't come to us. They went to another program. Um, and I, I suspect that that was because of the, this fraction that had come about, you know, and, and, and to be honest, I put myself in their shoes. I mean, coming to us would make them lose face to their their older sibling so I, there's probably some rash, rational reason why they're doing it they're probably not doing it to be venomous to us in the same way that h was uh you know five or six years ago so i apologize I really <laughs> it's uh, well, if you don't yeah i'm finished. go ahead sorry no i just want to say yeah I'm, i just want to apologize for uh bogarting Bo and making this grand speech but i wanted to get the story out there and then uh it's done yeah so that's the story
0: I think this is a really, really great anecdote that often people don't get to hear on this podcast because it's a a really useful encapsulation of just like the stressfulness or how stressful running an academy is and the craziness of running an academy. Mm -hmm. And then just like the weird world of the cultural differences happening because you just covered so many different issues in that story actually happen probably a lot to you probably not to that extent but happen a lot to you because they happen a lot to me and they happen a lot to other academy owners i know and, and
1: can i interrupt for one second yeah the the one reason why i want to share is i probably am in i'm in a unique situation maybe even the most unique situation in that i have the ability in my ecosystem to really uh, isolate variables because i'm in such a small town whereas Someone could have the same thing happening to them, but they might not learn as much as they do because the community is so much more broad. But because I have a a long-standing family in this town, I get to hear so much more of the gossip, which doesn't – I'm not saying my observations are better than another Hagwon operator's. It's just I have uh, uh, less variables uh, to control for, so I get to see kind of exactly what happened, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and on the opposite end, you know, a situation like this may occur in a larger city. So, um, you know, a place with 50, 100,000 people or Mm -hmm. even bigger, you know, a several million person city. But in those places, the number of songdoms, the number of students coming in through the door for an initial consultation is much higher. The amount of different social groups coming in. So, you know, living in a small community, you know, we have an academy in a small community. It's Mm -hmm. stressful when... You know, somebody goes berserk on you, and yeah. it's, uh, it's their job to ruin your business. But I made some notes here about your story. Yeah, it,
1: I was I was wondering, were you trying to were you trying to uh, uh, tell me I was doing something wrong or what?
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Um, to our listeners, we use a service where we can make memos or notes. So I think I distracted Aaron a little bit because we share our memos and notes on here. But um, I think this would be super useful for people listening because um, this just doesn't get talked about that much some people like to talk about the business some people like to talk about only the roses but it's really stressful and I think one of the big things is the cultural difference like you explained um you know disciplining students we just had uh, a teacher who had taught in America and Korea on the program and she was explaining one of the big differences was when she calls an American mom up to share updates about their child They want to know the bad things. They want to know what they can do at home. They want to know how this, you know, all the bad things that the kid does. There's no attack on the mom's ego, really.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But here with face culture, like anything negative is really an attack on um, not just the individual, but the The people around the individual. And it's an attack on everybody's ego, and the ego really drives it.
1: Yeah.
0: So, anyway, I wanted to ask you about what you learned from that situation because it seems like when i was listening to your story i was like oh oh that wouldn't go well i've had that experience i've (laughs) i've done that to a female student in front of her peers and she she did something similar so i was wondering um what exactly you learned from that
1: the i want to start at the beginning the first thing i learned is my perception of value is different than a student's or their family's perception of value Um, because the conflict. It got momentum when I was giving an, their friend who didn't pay for the service uh, an, an extra – I gave. I was trying to help them, and I thought I was being the good guy. Oh, okay, maybe you can't afford this extra service or something, but I, I still want you to have a chance at the contest, and they didn't see it that way. And I don't know what is the right way or what is the wrong way, but just – I'm aware now that sometimes how I perceive the value of what I'm doing and they perceive the value of what I'm doing in the context of time and money is different. And you just have to accept that. Um, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, man, I think if I had to go back with the brain that I have now, it, I would have circumvented the problem. Um, well, it, We wouldn't have created the problem in the first place because now we do our program completely different uh, than, than what we did at that time. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, does that answer your question?
0: (laughs) Sorry, I think, I think so in general, what I'm really curious about is for me, for example, I really had to reprogram my brain because the way I would discipline students or my expectation for students to behave in the academy was different. So for example, yesterday, um, I asked a student, oh, do you have your homework? And he said, I forgot my workbook at home. And in front of the entire class, I opened his backpack up. And I looked inside, oh, there's your workbook. Why did you lie about this? And I looked inside, oh, you didn't do your homework. Why didn't you just say you didn't do your homework? So in that moment, I made him lose face in front of all of his peers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I was doing that. I knew I probably was running a risk of him freaking out. Like there's a spectrum of what his reaction can do. be. it'd be go home and tell his mom's quitting. Or, you know, this is just another time of Steve teacher calling me out. But had this been two or three years ago, I'd be really shocked by the lying. Mm -hmm. I would be really just really shocked and I would make a note of it. And that would be like one of uh, my three strikes that would force me to maybe consider kicking the kid out. But now it's just like, oh, no, I understand what's going on here. I'm going to ignore this. We're going to save everybody's face for the most part, because like you said in your story, I don't want some young student to hate me and then drag my name through the mud because they can do that
1: i think i want to say one thing h who i talked about before i think she was exceptional and i would have to just try to deal with it differently but honestly some of it is just your relationship with the kid too like i would like if i had a brand new student i wouldn't be hard on them at all because i don't have a relationship to be hard on them but i have some kids that have been here two or three years and if i catch them in a lie yeah i'll tell everybody that they're lying like but i have a relationship with that kid you know what i mean and i have some kids that i know if i'm hard on them they're gonna cry so i'm not hard on them but that's something that comes from years of operation um and frankly making mistakes and knowing where that line is uh so yeah so there's situations where i would do it and there's situations where i wouldn't do it but certainly a new student i wouldn't do it you know um, I'd probably take it to my wife, you know. And sometimes I do that in the middle of class. Some, well, that, that's the freedom you have in a small town, and when you're, you know, you don't, not very large. So sometimes I'll just like take a pause. I'll go to my wife and say, "I think the student lied or did this. What do you want me to do?" And sometimes my wife will take the student out and talk to them. And sometimes she says, "Yeah, just ignore it," and then I just ignore it and move on. So.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important for people to really absorb because I know new study room owners, especially I know new teachers, especially when they're moving out of that position of being the fun want to mean teacher at their previous job and they're becoming a business owner, they're kind of hit with some of these difficult decisions of what to do. You know, acad- uh, academic honesty or academic dishonesty is something that, you know, kind of gets drilled into our heads as a kid. Um, and I think copying homework isn't that bad, but copying essays or copy like cheating on tests um and then things like that or lying in general, just mm-hmm. kind of, um, it's a difficult decision for, uh, new owners when it comes to disciplining, but, um, I think I got a different question for you now. Okay. I made a note here. Um, yeah, like group mentality is really stressful when one student decides they dislike you or they want to go mm-hmm. somewhere else or yeah. a parent does that. Mm-hmm. They take the entire community with you and it can really drain your income. I, w- so I just want to talk about that
1: yeah well one thing i will say is they will try to do that <laughs> um it's yeah when when they the, the the better thing is is that you you want to you want to be in a position where they can't do that so once they're doing that and they have the ability to do that you can't really do anything but just like, take it as much as you can uh Now I generally try to have more of a relationship with a class each in each individual class, especially um, what I I feel like I'm being too scatterbrained here, but um, something we do differently now in my academy is we offer like a premium service compared to our regular classes. So I have some classes that I see every day of the week, and they—they're taking two classes. They have Korean teachers, and then they're with me every day of the week. And those classes, you know, we definitely have a relationship as a class. Whereas one student can't try to manipulate the social dynamics, um, and I'm able to do that. Um, Yeah.
0: (sighs) Can I ask you about those relationships really quickly? Mm -hmm. I think that's something that owners especially don't understand. And I think, you know, a lot of this kind of ties into a cultural difference. But a, um, a teacher from another country who comes here just might expect that they need to have some type of, you know, what, what's that movie with uh, the Hispanic teacher in oh, Los Angeles? yeah, I know what you're talking about. Stand Up, Step Up, something. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, yeah. In the 80s, it was about that great math teacher. Mm-hmm. And you know that's the extent of like the American teacher relationship with students but I've discovered that here um, the definition or the expectation for relationships is really different and it's almost like um, you know it's definitely a Confucian role mentality like you've yeah. got to get them to buy into your Confucian role and if you don't do that then you're not gonna have a student who's gonna stick with you for a while and like in a business sense you know you're gonna lose money yeah and then in a happiness sense, like you're just going to have these insincere relationships with people because Korean students want to fit into that Confucian model of Sun Seng yeah. so I was wondering, can you give advice and could you maybe try and compare Um, what people back home I think is a good relationship and what actually is a good relationship?
1: All right. I think I have something to say here. Uh, The first thing I would say is there is a difference between what a public teacher has in regards of relationships and what a private teacher has in regards of relationships and power. And there's a difference between what a foreign teacher has and what a Korean teacher has. So, you know, being a private foreign teacher, you're like the lowest teacher on the totem pole. In terms of respect respect, given without being earned so you gotta earn it through building relationships um that is one thing uh second would be age you know i am now now i would say now that i have kids and they know i have kids i'm beginning to be somewhat equal with their parents so i can kind of be a parent to them but before i had kids and i was younger i was beneath their parent so why, why would I have the ability to discipline them if I'm not at an equal position of their parents? I don't know if that's the truth, but that's just how I kind of – that's my feeling about it. Because the, the, over the last two or three years now that I've become a parent, I don't know if I have changed or if the children's perception of me has changed. But I certainly – they seem to take discipline from me better. Not that – I mean I don't discipline all the time or anything, but uh, it just received differently. Um and, yeah, I, I you know, and I think that's not different from America. I mean, young teachers in America, I think they, they are treated differently by their students than like a 40 or 50 year old teacher, you know. Um, I think that's partly just children's, you know, they, when they categorize adults, right? Oh, you're a young adult. Oh, you're an older adult. I'm more fearful of you because you remind me of your, my parents. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I, that's my feeling. I don't know if you agree or not.
0: No, I definitely agree with that. And I think there's like a unique spin on it. When I go and I give advice to people or when I visit people's classrooms, sometimes I'll walk in and they'll introduce themselves and I'll hear, hello, bin, instead of hello, bin teacher. And that's, you know, my first clue that, hmm, let's see how this goes. Yeah. And then I hear the students speaking panma, yeah. which for viewers or listeners who aren't from Korea, panma is um, the lowest form of the language. So Korean has like a little bit of a hierarchy in the language and when you are the friends with somebody or someone's beneath you when you're talking down to somebody use panma and it's a really big faux pas Mm -hmm. to do that to your teacher i I guess guess it'd be akin to saying uh yeah like hello bin instead of saying hello mr mr lemlek yeah um it's a really big no-no and then when i see that like it's a really big expectation to expect children to have kind of global views on relationships and Mm -hmm. society and to be able to differentiate properly you know okay so this is just American cultures like this, Korean cultures like this instead what I find is kids are uh, they categorize like you said the teacher beneath them or beneath other people so oh I can speak to this person oh that makes them beneath me (laughs) oh this person lets me just call them by their name which is super bad super no no they're beneath me and I see that in their behavior and then I see that in their relationships and then I think it all ties together into enrollment issues too. So if if they're having a hard time disciplining kids or having a hard time with kids paying attention and doing well in class, that hurts their enrollment and part of it could be because they don't know how to build the relationship within the Korean, uh, I guess the Korean boundaries
1: yeah and it it is tough i frankly i don't i don't know if i have good advice for anybody who's younger because i had those problems and now i don't have those problems because i'm older and i get more respect in korea um in fact i'm actually this this age of like late 30s to mid 40s to late 40s is like the best age for a teacher i think because you're not so old that they that that you're too old for them to relate to you, but you're old enough to get more respect from them. (laughs) Um, So, but I don't have the problem today. So trying to speak to someone who has a problem who might be younger, um, you know, just always try to be the leader of the class with soft power, you know, and that means, you know, being probably energetic, you know, the focus of attention, you know, you can't, you're not going to be the leader of the class just because, That comes more with age in Korea, if that makes sense. So you have to be the leader of the class by being the interesting teacher, and and I'm not saying the fun teacher. I don't think you have to be fun, but you have to be engaging and keeping their attention on you, and those sorts of that sort of performance, I think will lead you to being the leader of the class. Um, You know, the other thing with relationships is one thing I've, you know this is, I'm going to go off on kind of a separate thing, but like something I've noticed is we used to do like market days and stuff like that. And the problem was that there was like an expectation of it. And it, the, the students almost went into like a, Oh, this is, I'm, I'm at a carnival. But now what we kind of do in the Academy is like maybe once every one or two months, we'll just like, my wife and I would be like, you guys want, you want to do duck bokeh day? And we don't tell the kids about it ahead of time. And like in the classes, maybe at the end of the class, at the beginning of the class, we'll just have duck bokeh and just kind of talk and, you know, build a relationship in that class unit. And it's it not only is it good because obviously we're giving something that they like, so they like us more. And that's like really uh, basic. It, you don't have to be a genius to think, of, think, think up that one. But um, I find that the more you can make the class a unit, a team, you, you circumvent social problems. If that makes sense. In fact, when like whenever we have uh, a dispute between two students, usually we'll do food with that class. Because if they're all together eating, it, it tends to just kind of get rid of that dispute between two students, usually. Um, and uh, so those are the sorts of things that you can kind of do to build a relationship in each class unit um, that just circumvents any type of animosity in the future when a conflict arises. Because there will be conflicts... The thing is, is once you have the conflict, if you didn't do the things beforehand, I can't really give you advice to solve the problem. But I can say, you know, if you built yourself as the leader of the class and you have a a camaraderie in that class, I mean, they might not be best friends, but in that class, they are friendly with each other. And they see themselves as a unit because in Korea, that's kind of how things are. There's like a lot of teams, you know, that you're small teams, big teams. So if they see themselves as kind of a team, as a class, you will be able to solve the dispute when it happens. Uh, does that make sense?
0: That's really, no, you just covered a lot of really great points. You just covered, I think for our listeners out there, what you've got to remember is try and make your class a unit. Try to make sure nobody feels... Like an outsider in the classroom because then obviously they wouldn't want to be there mm-hmm. and then when you're talking about controlling the class you talked about soft power and you talked about how you need to make sure uh you get their attention through that and i think uh there are a few people that have some really really great techniques to just immediately gain um, the attention of the students and to gain leadership of the class and uh, richard graham i believe of genki english if anybody wants just to know how to control a class watch one of his open classes and you'll definitely understand and then the last point are the first point you mentioned the last point I'll reiterate is age like there's so many, if you're teaching Korea if you're teaching Japan if you're teaching China they're just in Vietnam too because we just talked to Keith Tacey who has an Academy down there with 200 students it's all about different types of hierarchy so if you don't fit into those slots for hierarchy it's really hard to gain the respect of the students and you mentioned that you mentioned that as a private academy foreign teacher you're at the bottom and you've really got to earn it um and i think you get some really good insight into that so for our listeners put that into your pocket sure <laughs> you carry it around with you um i have so many more questions for you but mm-hmm. i think in the limited time we have i'd really love to ask you about how you handle the stress of a competitor, and then how you handle the stress of a competitor with all these different kind of shady, shisty, shadowy things going on. People stealing your curriculum, people opening up Kakao group chats. You know to try and convince other students to leave because they lost face how do you deal with that stress because i know i deal with it very poorly through uh, soju and chicken
1: yeah I, I was just gonna say yeah i don't i didn't deal with stress well <laughs> and uh, yeah i did I, it probably did increase my drinking sometimes uh and i don't say that in a in a bragging way it's a it's, it's a it's a negative thing um how do i deal with it uh You know, I, one thing I tell my wife and when I tell my wife, I'm telling myself is the serenity prayer and, uh, give me the strength to change the things that I can and the serenity to accept the things that I can't change and the wisdom to know the difference between the two. And, uh, you know, on a day by day, minute by minute basis, if you, uh, can't change something, then you just got to accept it. And, uh, I'm, and when I say that I didn't always do that. Um, So I and now that I'm on the other side of this problem and my academy is, you know, this we had uh, a third straight month of record enrollment increased. um, uh, It's easy to say the serenity prayer in that situation. Um, Yeah. Other than that, I mean, I I would say I can tell you what not to do. (laughs) Don't bring the stress home. Don't fight with your spouse. And I say that because I did do that. And uh, it definitely, you know, made the low points lower than they needed to be. Um, and I try to avoid that. And I, I can't, I, I, I really can't tell you how to do that because I did it myself, but don't do it if you can and try to find ways to do it and be better than I was. Um, Another
0: nugget of wisdom. Don't make the low points lower than they have to be. I think that's really important for mm-hmm. everybody to really just take in because if you're all, if you're having a problem with enrollment, if you have somebody, some crazy person who you can't. You know, make disappear who you can't make stop spreading rumors about you, who you can't make, you know, stop from criticizing your academy and trying to get people to go to a different academy. You know, don't come home and fight with your wife until 1 a.m. <laughs> or something like that.
1: Yeah. Um, and then what was the second thing that you were you, you asked me two parts, the stress and then.
0: Well, just in general. I was oh, the shady, about. the
1: shady practices. Yeah. yeah, I did want to talk about that. Um, we have become a lot more protective of materials. Um, in fact, the, right now, the county uses the ESPT testing system to test. And I could talk – I'm not an expert, but I could talk a lot well, – I could, I could talk endlessly about ESPT and the testing system. But that's not the point. The point is is that's, that's the test they picked. I didn't pick it. So I got I to gotta work in that boundary of that being the test, even though you know, I think there would be valid criticisms whether it's the right test or not. So all of our material for that test is scanned and on drives that no one has access to. And any material that we would print for the children to use that is based off of our scans that we've built, it is very rarely taken home. And the material that is taken home, um, we, we monitor that and we request it back. And in fact, we had an issue with a student that quit and you know, we requested it back and we got it back. Um, now, it, it, when it was in their hands, they could have copied it, but but we're doing as much as we possibly can to both educate them and protect the material. So the the most sensitive material we have, and and I, just be, just to be honest, we have test questions because you know our, every time our children take the tests, like any type of test prep program you're going to try to get as many of the questions that are in the test bank and so those questions that we've gotten over the years we're not going to let someone else have access to that if we can avoid it Um, on the other hand the the one thing we do give freely to the children is one thing I do every year with my sixth graders is we go through about 50 or 60 interview questions that I have uh, it's a list that I collect and I, I call the list and I add to it based off of what I think is valuable to the kids. Because I think it is really valuable to have 60-ish really well-rehearsed interview questions because um, it's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't defend it educationally. But practically, there's a lot of situations where they use an English interview to, to assess a child's um, ability. And so, you know, you might as well – perform it, I mean, practice and perform it as well as you can. And that one we used to try to be protective about. And now it's like, Hey, you pay me the money. You wrote the answers. I edited them. I typed them for you and here they are. And I just let them have it. And if they choose to give those to someone, I can't stop it. So to answer the question, some material, I'm very, very particular about not letting them get it out of the Academy um, and they're all, it's all digitally scanned. We don't keep paper copies of it around for it to, it to be stolen. And then some things I just say, hey, if someone wants to hurt me and give it away, I can't because they paid me money. And there it is. That And it's now their property. So. Uh,
0: you, you mentioned a few things that I think wouldn't cross the average new Academy owner's mind. Yeah. And they, they might think it'd be, you know, like for me still, I'm like, what? You do this? What? <laughs> so just to give our listeners an example, I'm doing middle school test prep now and you know, it's an English test and the extent of middle school test prep is literally memorizing sentences. Holy, like memorizing entire texts. Yeah. Just so they can identify it on the test. There's nothing Englishy about that at all. There's nothing. Yeah. About that English, And, and I really didn't understand why people pay two, three, $400 a month to send their kids to an English middle school test prep place because it seems so easy. Um, and I don't think that would cross anybody's mind when they're like, oh, you have to study for the middle school test. They'd be like, oh, I have to teach them the fundamental skills for these things. Mm-hmm. But if somebody asked my advice, it's, oh, no, you have to teach them them just memorize that text. It's completely different. Um, you mentioned something about the answer banks or the question banks. Yeah. And I think that's something that people need to develop the skill for. Can, so can you explain to people like how you get students to... Um, get you the questions from previous tests, and then how do you protect it exactly?
1: Well, I know a little bit about other tests, and I know a lot about the ESPT test. But basically, all these test companies, they write questions, but writing questions costs money. So they can't write a new test every single time. So they maybe have a pot uh, like a really big test company, maybe they have a pot of a, a thousand questions for their test. Maybe 250 questions for four different sections. And so every time they might, instead of writing a thousand questions, they'll write a hundred questions. So they'll take a hundred questions out and put a hundred questions into the test bank. And so every time you take the test, you don't get a thousand questions. You might just get uh, 40 of the 40 of the thousand questions that are in the test bank. Th- these numbers have they're just random things. It could be any, any variation of those numbers so every time you have a child taking the test and you're part of that process you want to get as many of those uh, test questions for two reasons number one is there is an educational value in just showing a child hey this is a type of a question this is how you would answer the question let's play around with the question okay well what if they changed it to this type of a a, a, a thing Uh, let's give a a concrete like let's say it's direct like directions so it's a, a picture of how you are here, you need to go to the coffee shop. How do you get there? Oh, well, first go straight on uh, First Avenue. No. So you could take that test question and say, okay, well, what, what if instead you're going to the coffee shop, you're going here? And that is, I would defend that as being very educational. The second part that's not as educational and more of a game thing is that you're going to want the kids to memorize those <laughs> answers to those questions because – Sure, I, I want to give my kids 90% organic education, but when you talk about the difference between first place and second place and the difference between the 10th place and 12th place and not going to the contest, I want to push them that 10% and give them the biggest advantage they can. And some of that does, to be, to be honest, is memorizing questions from a test bank. And frankly, that's every, everybody who sells doing well on tests at the top level, that's what they're doing. Uh, sorry, that's a dirty secret.
0: (laughs) Nobody, I I really feel like new teachers can't even comprehend it. Maybe foreign teachers really can't comprehend the big gaps in education style. And then like even the general definition. So I I think I keep mentioning on the podcast, um, there are translations into English for what something is and it really isn't. So Chingu translates into friend, Mm -hmm. but it's not friend. It's somebody who's the same age as me. Yeah. Um, and there actually isn't really a great word for friend. And when we talk about test prep, I really, when I went to an ACT test program, which was the only test program I went to, you know, it was kind of like studying the skills, but certainly no memorization of anything. Yeah. But for example, if you go to a test preparation school here, it's memorization of everything, like you said. So I think it's for hagwon and academy owners, I think there's just like really breaking down of barriers that needs to happen and maybe that's you know compromising in their mind but i really think people can't be successful academy owners with these kind of um i guess barriers or with these limitations because other kids are going to other academies six seven hours a week and they're only doing memorization of literally questions and answers Mm -hmm. and they're coming to you six or seven hours a week to just learn real english Unfortunately, the other kids might do better on the test. So I think it's a really great point or a really great uh, moment to just emphasize to teachers you really do need to make some compromises yeah. and include some of that test memorization.
1: Yeah, I, I want to say one thing, uh, two parts. Um, first, yeah, I basically agree with everything you say and it's it's not a pet peeve, but they're in the social media spaces that, that are about Korean education. Like, I feel like it's popular to say, fight the system. We're only going to do organically based education. And it's like, well, you're not wrong. And you, you certainly as a human being have the right to do as you want to do. But this is also Korea and that it works differently here. And I don't feel, I, I don't do anything I feel that is, that is unethical uh, to me. But sometimes you do have to play the game and the game is in front of you and you got to play by that rules. And sometimes to win that game, you have to do things that are not just what, you know, I use the word organically educational. That's my phrase for it. Um, So there's that. The second thing is like, this is how I implement my philosophy like for example like maybe in some of my special classes that run for maybe six months to nine months or even up to a year it depends on when they schedule the tests and the different rounds of the tests um i my most uneducational material which is just my bank of questions that i have i generally only give those out like two weeks prior to the most important time of the test because i'm not going to give them the edge um to go from like the third round to the second round, because if they can't make it that far, they're not going to win the final round. I'm not going to give them those uneducational things, but when you talk about the final round, maybe two weeks out, I'll start using that material that I've collected over the years. And so I don't mean that in a bragging way. I'm just saying that that's how I come to terms with, you know, balancing the organic education side of it versus the, just memorizing to beat other competitors that are taking the same test as they are. Um, so
0: I't know the people the people who suck about as you said organically educating students and organically <laughs> educating English are either single, um, aren't very successful or they're within their first two years of running an academy because I was I think all of us are the same exact thing
1: or they teach at a all university. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think all of us have the same exact opinions when it comes to running our academies. Oh, we've worked at this other person's academy. It's garbage. I'm going to open my own and offer real English. And everybody I talk to on this podcast says the same thing. After two years, after a year or two, the moms really get to you about, oh, why aren't you doing this like the other school? Why aren't you doing this like the other school? The other school is obviously better. And you lose kids to these obviously you know, kind of the other schools. Yeah. So you've got to incorporate elements like that or else Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to provide for your family. You're not going to have a well-run business. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think it's just like a hard truth. If, if, if our listeners haven't learned by now, yeah, um, that there's compromises and that you've really got to change your expectation for what an English Academy is, especially Mm -hmm. in East Asia. Yeah, they might have to listen to a different podcast. They might have to change. Yeah, it's, not, it's obviously not working.
1: Well, and this is something I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, as working in this industry, I'm always mulling over and thinking to myself and talking out loud about what is education in in, in Asia, uh, or what is a, what is education in Korea. But part of it is like it's a gatekeeping. I mean, everywhere education is gatekeeping, but it, more so here, and it's been gamified. Because basically, especially, I know your time is short here. Um, Like, they just recently are closing down some high schools because right now we have uh, a liberal president um, in office. And, you know, the the generally liberal politics in Korea and relating to education is they want to make it as egalitarian as possible. So, but the funny part of it is he wants to actually increase the number of slots into the top university that come based off of the uh, Korean SATs. Which, funny, speak of the devil, today they're being uh, given, in my town at least. I don't know if it's nationwide. Uh, uh, So, uh, what's my point? My point is, is that they gamify education because they think that that is the best of all the worst solutions to make education egalitarian. So if they're going to gamify education and you want to sell education, you got to play the game a little bit. Do you agree with my summarization?
0: Yeah, no, I think it's great. Don't worry, you're making really great points today. And I think it's something that I think all these points that you're making really should be taken to heart either by people who are about to open or people with that one or two year um, run at an academy or a study room who aren't quite where they want to be, that Mm -hmm. don't have the number of students that they want, They don't have the relationships that they want, that don't have the trust from the parents that they want.
1: Um, One final thing. I think you're probably going to be wrapping it up here soon. But the one thing I want to say at the end of it, the reason I shared this story, uh, the negative story, and then my observations is anybody who is happening to listen to this podcast and is in struggling is just realize that if you are getting better, you're staying in one location, things will improve and I wish I had known that when I was dealing with some of these stressful times in my life is it will get better. If you are getting better, you are sticking with it. Uh, times will get easier. And so you might be in a really low point, but if you, if you improve, just realize that, that those stresses will eventually go away. And, uh, so I just hopefully encourage, uh, someone that it, it, Tomorrow is better and the next day is better and uh, you'll get over the problem that I got over uh, and now I'm a lot happier so
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a, I think that our listeners definitely appreciate that and I think like I made these notes here, there's so many different things going on when you run these academies and there's so many problems that like you said you won't even be aware of until three or four years later because you know you just you're not in a place to get knowledge about them. So you're dealing with face culture, low context versus high context culture, um, bullying, group mentality, and just like so many cultural differences. And then running a business on top of that, things can happen and you can make, you know, culturally dependent mistakes or, you know, just culturally independent mistakes. And like you said, you just got to keep focusing on it. Um, Aaron, can we get you back on here to talk about something else sometime?
1: Yeah, sure. I think I, I all the agendas I have about what I want to say, I think I'm done with. And so, yeah, you pick any topic. I'd love to talk about it. Uh, I enjoy talking.
0: <laughs> I think a really good topic that I think folks have been asking me about is parenthood in Korea. So maybe yeah. we can chat about that. I do
1: got a lot of opinions about that. I would say. In the social media space, there is a big gap between people who are operating academies without children and with children. And, uh, and neither one is – I'm not saying they're good or bad, but they are, it's definitely two tribes in social media. And uh, we don't identify as it, but you definitely see that they approach problems differently. Yeah, I love that topic.
0: Well, great. We'll do it again soon. All right. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, it's an honor. And yeah, have a great day.